the scripture today comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I die to the law, so that I might live to, I live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of God. Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you all. Uh, once again, uh, if, you're, if you're a dad here, then uh, happy Father's Day to you, to us. And if, you are, um, if you're not a dad, you're welcome here too. And, um, and if you, you know, also, if you happen to have, um, maybe Father's Day is a sad day for you, or maybe this one in particular, if you've lost a father, if you miss your dad, may the Lord fill you today with joy and with the sense of fullness in Him that, that far overcomes any sense of sadness and grief that you're feeling at the loss of your father. Um, the message today is not aimed particularly at dads. Um, for f- about six weeks now, we as a church have been studying the book of Galatians. And if you've been here for any part of that, I hope you've noticed that the book of Galatians is, it says a lot about God's grace. In fact, this book from beginning to end is about God's grace. Here's what I mean. Galatians tells us that acceptance with God is free. It's freely given, not to good people, but to sinful people. The only kind of people there are. You can't earn God's acceptance. You can't earn it with your good behavior or with your religious acts of devotion, but you can receive it by grace as a gift. That's what grace is, you know. Grace is, it's it's unearned blessing for undeserving people. But that idea, it, it runs contrary to what religions typically tell us about God. And it, and it may, in fact, run directly in contrast to what you believe about God, naturally. Be, because our instincts tend to focus on what we need to do to get something good from God. They, they, our instincts tend to focus, and, and religions generally tend to focus on what we need to do in order to make ourselves deserving of God's blessing, favor, acceptance. And that's exactly why the scriptures again and again and again, they keep reminding us, acceptance with God, the God of the Bible, comes to you for free. And all that is required of you is to receive this free gift by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is an empty hand. It's it's the empty hand that receives this gift. Listen to what Galatians says. 
This is the Apostle Paul, a formerly very religious man, and he's speaking to the Apostle Peter here. And, and, and listen for repetition, okay? Paul says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. You hear that repeated contrast again and again. Paul's saying we're justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you might remember the sermon that Alex and Tim preached And Alex's message, uh, in that message, he defined what this word justified means. Justified means declared righteous. To be justified is to be declared by God to be acceptable to him. And we don't get justified by proving to God that we are righteous. You can't do that. No matter how hard you try to keep his law, you cannot prove to God that you are righteous. You'll fail. But what God requires of you is that you collapse upon Jesus, the righteous one. That's faith. It's faith. It's trust. It's, it's, it's reliance. Faith is you in your weakness and in your sinfulness collapsing onto a righteous Savior who promises to give you his righteousness. God says that When you trust in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is credited to you. You see how, you see, that's free. And not only this, but when we embrace that free gift, we are actually set free. We embrace the free gift and it sets us free. Free from guilt and judgment that sin has brought upon us, free from the need to keep trying to impress God. You're set free from the need to keep trying to get God's attention with your good behavior or to maintain his approval by your obedience. That's why the title of the sermon series we're going through is Galatians Free for Life. Free for life. Because what Galatians aims to convince us of is that one, acceptance with God is free, and two, embracing that truth will set you free. But there's an, ex- an, an, an objection that might rise up in your mind as you listen to this. I wonder if it's already arisen in your mind. If God accepts undeserving bad people, then what's the point of being good? What's the point of even trying to be good? If our obedience doesn't impress God, then why try to obey? In fact, doesn't this message actually encourage people to sin and to not care? Have you ever asked yourselves those questions? You should ask those questions. I think that when we're confronted by the radical nature of God's grace towards us, this free gift of acceptance offered to anyone who believes in Christ... We should ask, wait a second, is this kind of dangerous? That's the basic objection that Paul raises and addresses in today's passage in Galatians 2, 17 to 21. 
And the way he addresses that objection is masterful. I, I, I hope you, you find it to be so. Um, what you're going to see is that Paul dismantles two errant ways of viewing Christianity, two incorrect inadequate ways of viewing Christianity. He dismantles legalism on the one hand and license on the other hand. You know what legalism is? Legalism, at least one form of it, says this. It says, obey God and he will accept you. The opposite lie, that's a lie by the way, but the opposite lie is what we might call license. License, which says God has accepted you So, live as you'd like. Legalism says, work hard, obey God, and he will accept you. License says, hey, he's already accepted you, so do what you like. How you live doesn't matter. Paul dismantles both legalism and license because both of these are offensive to God. Both of these extremes, both of these uh, uh, errant ways of viewing Christianity dishonor Christ, and they both cheapen grace. And they're not very good correctives for each other either. So as we study the passage that we're looking at today, um, I want us to see it in in three parts, okay? Three parts. One, a question. Two, a response. And three, a bold declaration, okay? But this is a difficult passage in some ways. Um, There's some difficult language in here. We need help, okay? So, So let's ask the Lord to help us to follow his train of thought and, and it really is important that we get this, church. It's important. This, is, this isn't just some fine theological point for, for, that's worthy of debate. It's not just that. What's, what's communicated to us in these words is a matter of eternal life and death. And it has practical implications for how you will live even today. So, so please pray with me as we jump into God's word. Lord, As we sit here before you under the ministry of your gospel, we ask that you would illuminate our minds to understand what it is that you're saying to us. But also, Lord, would you open our hearts to receive and believe and rest in what you are telling us. Lord, my desire as we work through your word is that your Holy Spirit would work in us in such a way that everyone here to the last one of us could say earnestly and sincerely, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen. So part one, there's a question. Look at verse 17. Verse 17 of Galatians 2, it says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Is a question. We need to understand what this means. Um, Paul knows how people are going to react to the message that he's been preaching. Okay? Um, so, so he anticipates that response, and he just puts it out there right here in this verse. Here's how he starts. He says, When we accept... That justification only comes by faith, by believing in Jesus, we're actually admitting that we're sinners. You see, when you come face to face with that truth and say, yes, I can only be justified by believing in Jesus. I don't have any righteousness of my own. You're admitting that you're a sinner. 
We're admitting that we don't have any righteousness of our own and we don't deserve to be accepted by God. We're admitting that we need to receive a righteousness from somewhere outside of us. Now, earlier in verse 15 of this chapter, Paul, the author of this book, who is a Jew, he refers to what he calls Gentile sinners. Gentile sinners. Now, Gentiles are people who didn't grow up within the Jewish community. They didn't grow up being taught to obey the laws of God like Jews were. Paul says to Peter, we're Jews. We're not like those Gentile sinners, he says. We're not like those Gentile sinners. But here in verse 17, he does something clever. He says, look, he says, the truth of justification through faith in Christ Jesus reveals that we're sinners too. We may not be Gentile sinners, but we're sinners just the same. This is true for Paul. It's true for Peter. It's true for every single last one of us. We have failed to keep all of God's laws. We have fallen short. So whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, one fact remains the same. We all are not righteous. And we can only be declared righteous if God credits Jesus' righteousness to us. That's true for every last one of us, regardless of age, background, or anything. You see, justification by faith in Jesus Christ, it levels the playing field. When we accept that truth, we are all found to be sinners. Martin Luther, the priest turned reformer in the 16th century, coined this phrase, Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator. Simul justus et peccator, which means simultaneously justified and a sinner. And this describes every follower of Christ. Everyone who's put their faith in Christ. God has justified you. You are justified, reckoned righteous before God, and yet, in and of yourself, you still are a sinner. That's why the Apostle Paul has no problem using both terms to refer to himself. He calls himself justified, but he also calls himself a chief of sinners. But here's the objection that Paul knows we're likely to raise. If Jesus credits his righteousness to sinners like us, if he's willing to declare sinners like us as acceptable to God, then doesn't that make Jesus a servant of sin? In other words, doesn't that make Jesus um, an enabler? He's like the father who, who says to his son, you're such a good boy, you're so obedient, and he pretends not to see the fact that his kid is raising hell and, and biting his sister and kicking the family dog. He just says, oh, you're just so good. And turns a blind eye to all of the boy's sins. Is that what Jesus is doing? That's the objection here. That the, the doctrine of justification by faith makes Jesus that kind of enabling, indulgent authority figure who turns his face away, calls you good, even though he knows that you're doing terrible things. Doesn't salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, encourage us to just live recklessly, sin it up? Isn't it just basically encouraging bad behavior? That's the objection. 
Paul's going to address it in just a moment. I've seen this week what I believe, from my own limited perspective, and some of you may disagree with me, but that's not really the point that I'm trying to make here, but I have seen over this week what I believe to be some miscarriages of justice. And, and those, what I perceive to be miscarriages of justice, severe ones at that, have made me ask questions similar to the ones that, that Paul's asking here. It, it made me ask, for instance, if an officer unjustly kills a driver on a routine traffic stop and he is acquitted, doesn't that encourage and legitimize behavior like that? Every time someone, an officer, for instance, does something awful like that and he's acquitted, doesn't it just legitimize that and say, oh, it's okay, it's justifiable, it's fine? Does it encourage, doesn't that encourage others to then do the same thing? To act unlawfully and unjustly? If, if a celebrity sexually assaults women and gets off for it, doesn't that encourage others to do the same thing? In cases like these, hasn't the legal system actually served the cause of evil? Haven't, haven't they facilitated and enabled sin? Now, you may not agree with me on my reading of, of you know, the, the, the Flando Castile case or the Bill Cosby case. That's not really the point, whether or not you agree with me on that. The point still remains that, that, that those questions I'm asking are something like the objection that many have raised against Christianity and the doctrine of justification by grace through faith. By clearing guilty sinners... Isn't Jesus becoming a servant of sin? And isn't that kind of irresponsible of him to begin with, to just clear sinners? It's somewhat similar, in some ways, to the objection that's made in Romans 6. Paul says there, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe you've wondered the same thing. If I'm already forgiven and accepted, what's the point of even trying to fight sin? I may as well give up, give up the fight, and live however I'd like. That thought ever cross your mind? God has an answer to those objections, an answer to that question. It comes at the end of verse 17, where Paul says, Certainly not, absolutely not, by no means... The Greek is literally, no way, Jose, is what he's saying. Okay, not really. He's really saying, may it never be. Some, some, some Bibles translate it, God forbid. Why not? Why not? Let's jump ahead to verse 19 to see, okay? Let's jump ahead to verse 19. Number two, what we see in this passage is a response to that question. A response. Verse 19 says, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The key to understanding what Paul is saying in these verses is to focus on these phrases. With Christ, Christ who lives in me, in the Son of God, Paul is saying that the incentive 
And the power to live the Christian life is right here. It's Jesus Christ in you. It's what theologians often call union with Christ. Union with Christ. It's one of the Apostle Paul's favorite concepts, and it's so important for all of us to see. Listen, if you are a Christian, then you are united to Jesus. God has joined you to him. And this connection, it's so vital, it's so intimate, that you can actually say, like Paul, it's no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. In other words, union with Christ, it gives you a new life. You've been given a new life. You're not who you used to be. Look at the, I love the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. Look what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Look, justification means that your status before God has changed, right? We said this before. You've been declared righteous. Jesus' righteousness was credited to you, but that's not all that has happened when you put your faith in Jesus. More has happened. You were, when you were joined to Christ, more happened. Paul describes it in these verses, in, in these striking terms. He uses the metaphors of life and death and resurrection. Let's look at how Galatians um, makes this argument. Verse 20, just a piece of verse 20 there. I have been crucified with Christ. If you are a Christian, this is true for you. The condemning power of the law that stood over you and threatened you has been exhausted on Jesus Christ at the cross. Listen, your failure to obey God's law, your sins demanded death. And Christ died. So that through your union with him, that payment that he made becomes yours. You see, this is not a miscarriage of justice. This isn't God turning a blind eye to sin. God did not do that. He did not turn a blind eye to crime like our justice system sometimes does. Judgment was, in fact, handed down, but it was handed down on Jesus. He was punished. The willing substitute who loved us and gave himself for us. If you're in Christ... His crucifixion so counted for you that you can say, I have been crucified with Christ. So that as a man or a woman or a child in Christ, you died to the condemning, threatening power of the law. You're dead to it. That means the law has no power to condemn you anymore. Think about this. When you stood at one time before the perfect law of God, take the Ten Commandments, in all of their imposing, perfect, 
high standard. Or just take the two commandments that maybe some, that do, in fact, summarize all those ten. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps you can remember a time where you stood looking up at the perfect standard of those laws, and those laws showed you what a mess you are. They showed you how unrighteous you are. Because you know that no matter how much you try to keep up appearances, and no matter how hard you try, you have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've never even come close to loving your neighbor as yourself. Not if we really understand the depth of what that means. You've fallen short. Maybe you've gotten a little closer than the person next to you. But no points for that. And so as you stood and you looked at this perfect standard of God's beautiful law, you stood there undone, finished. That's what the law of God was always meant to do. The laws of God were always meant to bring us to a place where we are at the end of ourselves and and to show us just how impure, just how immoral, just how inconsistent and depraved we are. You see, the law of God has this function. It functions like like a diagnostic tool. It's not a cure for what ails us. It just shows us what ails us. It's like an MRI that reveals that we need radical rescue and radical cure. And Jesus provides that cure. In him, not in the law, in Christ, we can stand before God's perfect standard, see what a mess we are, and say, in Christ, I stand safe. Not only acquitted, but counted as righteous. Clothed in his righteousness. That's not it. That's not the extent of it. There's more. Because in Christ, you are also transformed. Transformed. Because of the union you have with Jesus, you are now given new power and new incentives to live a new life. Verse 20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus Christ is living in you by his spirit. If you are in Christ, then that's where the power to serve and love and to obey God comes from. Christ in you. And now you have new incentives to obey God. More and better and stronger incentives to obey God and his commandments. You don't have to be motivated by fear of judgment anymore. And you also don't have to be motivated by this desire to impress God and get his approval. You've already got that in Christ. But that shouldn't make you passive. In fact, it's intended by God to activate you and motivate you so that you can say with Paul, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I actively live. I make decisions And I seek, with my effort, to actually obey God's commandments. But as I do it, 
I'm doing it by faith in Christ and by the power that he is working in me because he dwells in me by his spirit. You see, the, the, the grace of God was never meant to make us passive and inactive and careless about the way we live. If anything, it gives us more and better incentives and more power to actually walk in obedience to God. One author, Dallas Willard, has famously said that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We don't earn our standing with God. We don't earn his acceptance. And yet, because we are now in Christ and he dwells in us by his spirit, we make every effort to follow to obey. And we strive with the energy, his energy, that's at work in us. You keep looking. What does that look like? What does it look like to live in the flesh now by faith in the Son of God? It means, for one thing, it means you keep looking to the Son of God. You you keep looking to Jesus. You continue to lean on him in your weakness you trust him in your failures because you know that your standing with him will not be revoked. And you live secure in the love and the acceptance that Jesus has secured for you. And that doesn't make you careless about sin. On the contrary, now, now you can fight sin knowing that Jesus is in you and with you. And he's in this fight as well. You see, for Paul, justification by faith in Christ, it wasn't just like this interesting doctrinal point that he liked to argue over and debate. For him, it was deeply personal and powerful. For for Paul and for all of us who are following Christ, it, it means that obedience goes from being about earning and impressing to now being about worshiping and loving the one who loved us and gave his life for us. Do you see Jesus in that way? If you do, then you'll know that the grace of God doesn't free you to sin more at will. No, the grace of God frees you to live for the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Personally. I wasn't sure if I was going to read this, but I'll read it because it's too beautiful to skip. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, tells us, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You see that the, the grace of God, it, it, what does it do? It saves people, but it also trains people. It saves us and it trains us. It teaches us. It transforms us so that we begin to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So that we start to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Does that sound familiar? 
It's Paul saying it again. He gave himself for us to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Listen, who are zealous for good works. You see, the grace of God, it frees us from lawlessness and disobedience, and it frees us to pursue good works. Not to be dependent on good works, enslaved to good works, because we need them to find acceptance with God. No, 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 no. But it frees us to actually be zealous for, eager to do good works. That, that, that takes us to our last point. The last section here, a bold declaration. A bold declaration. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not or I will not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If you believe that your efforts at being righteous will make you acceptable to God, listen, you nullify the grace of God, which is your only hope. You're rejecting grace. You're saying, I don't need it. It's invalid and worthless to me. You're saying, my obedience, my good behavior, my good record, they make grace unnecessary. And not only that, according to Paul, if you believe that you can make yourself righteous by obeying God and by generally uh, being a good person, then Christ died for no purpose. The cross is irrelevant. Do you see the magnitude of that? The, The apostle is, he's boldly declaring, I will not reject the grace of God. Obedience to the Lord is important. Following his commandments, yes, we need to earnestly seek to live righteously, to follow Christ, to follow his instructions and submit to his lordship in in, in every area of life, no doubt. But I will not make that the basis of my acceptance with him. No way. Because the moment I do... I'm nullifying the grace of God. And I'm saying the cross was pointless. Listen to the way how succinctly and clearly uh, Martin Luther put it here. He says, I rest only upon the righteousness of Christ, which I do not produce but receive. God the Father freely gives it to me Through Jesus Christ. I I really love that statement. I rest only upon the righteousness of Christ. It reminds me of of an object lesson I once heard not too long ago. A man took two chairs and he set them side by side. He was trying to teach a lesson. One of those chairs is rickety, it's creaky, it looks like it's about to break. And the other one is firm and it's strong and it's stable. So the guy sits on the old chair, and he says, he says, listen, faith in Christ looks something like this. It looks like me getting up out of this chair and sitting in that one, the better one, the stronger one. You see, faith in Christ is me realizing that I no longer want to sit, I no longer want to rest on my own righteousness. In fact, I can't rely on it. It, it can't sustain me. 
And so I get up and I drop myself. I rest on the righteousness of Christ. In fact, I, I collapse onto that chair and I find safety and comfort there. But here's the problem for, for us. So often, it's like we want to sit on both chairs, as if they're, they're really close side by side, and we want to sit with half on one chair and half on the other, or maybe inch a little bit more towards one side once in a while. We want to somehow acknowledge the grace of God and the cross of Christ, but at the same time, we want to believe in our own goodness, our own righteousness. We believe that that can somehow still support us, can still somehow earn us points with God. And Paul says, no way. To put any, any reliance on your own righteousness is to say, I don't need Jesus, his grace, his cross. You see, it really is all or nothing. All on Christ. The burden for your acceptance with God is either all on you or it's all on Jesus. The old theologian, J. Gresham Machen, he put it beautifully. He says, if Christ provides only a part of our salvation, leaving us to provide the rest, then we're still hopeless under the load of sin. He says, Christ will do everything or nothing. And the only hope is to throw ourselves unreservedly on his mercy and trust him for all. That's what Galatians is urging us to do again and again and again, to throw ourselves unreservedly on his mercy and trust him for all. That is faith in Christ. Stop inching onto the unreliable chair of your own righteousness. Stop inching back to lean on it. We do that. We do it all the time. How do we do this? We, I call it the, the legalism creep. We creep back and inch back towards legalism, trying to find some, some righteousness of our own to, to rest on in subtle ways. Every time we compare our Christian performance to others, and we feel that sense of self-righteous pride as we look down on other Christians, or maybe... We feel a deep sense of shame and inadequacy when we look at other Christians. What is that? But the, that's the legalism creep. Every time we feel that we need to do some sort of penance, we need to make up for our sins before we can actually approach God. That's a legalism creep right there. Every time that we begin to think that God's level of acceptance towards us fluctuates depending on what sort of week we had. These are ways that Christians creep toward legalism and, in effect, nullify grace. And, and the sad thing is, is that we encourage this in others sometimes, too. For instance, it's Father's Day, so dads, every time you scold your children for their sins and tell them to do better without reminding them that there's forgiveness offered to them in Christ... And that they need to look to Jesus for the power that they need to obey. We nudge them toward legalism. Work harder if you want approval. Do better. Look at what Paul says in the verse that we skipped earlier, verse 18. 
He says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Listen, Paul, like so many of us, he had once built up a sense of his own righteousness before God. He had built a fine resume of religious achievements and impressive acts of obedience and devotion. He had built up that sense of righteousness, and he rested on that before God. But when he came to see that by the works of the law, no one is justified, and when he came to see that acceptance with God comes by faith in Jesus, he abandoned what he had built up. He actually tore it down. He repented. And he's saying, I won't go back to that. I won't try to rebuild some flimsy sense of merit before my God. Because the gospel's freed me from that. And now I'm free to rest right here in the trustworthy strength of his grace. The one who loved me and gave himself for me. Will you do the same? Will you throw yourself unreservedly on his mercy and trust him for all? Would you do it now? Why, why not? Why wouldn't we do this? Why will you not join Paul and join every other saint that Jesus Christ has made righteous Throw yourself unreservedly on his mercy and trust him. Why not now? We'll close our service today with these simple but good words to us from our God. This blessing to you. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen.